All right, do me a favor and give those that are watching us this morning a round of applause and welcome them into our experience this morning. We appreciate all of you that are watching us at home or wherever you might be, but we're grateful for the opportunity to come to where you are through technology. And today's a very, very special day in the fact that it does mark really the first weekend of the summer and all that we have in store for us. School is officially out I don't know if that's an amen or an oh me for the parents, but a little bit of both. But at the same time, I know that summer is right here upon us, and there's going to be a lot of exciting things happening, and uh, we don't want anybody to miss out on the opportunities that we have in front of us. And I just want to take just a moment before I bring today's message um, to give you just a little quick um, next step as it relates to the things going on in the life of our church, and they all begin today. So for example, um, today, as you just learned a few moments ago, is the beginning of what we call our summer semester of life groups. And so our life groups is an opportunity for people to connect uh, both spiritually as well as relationally. Basically, it's an opportunity and a venue to connect with people so that you can get to know people. And ultimately, getting to know people is going to allow you to grow, not just in your relationships, with really building those Christ-centered friendships, but in the sa- at the same time, learning and growing with one another spiritually. And so it's a great opportunity. And the wonderful thing about the summer semester of life groups is that they're only six weeks. So that basically means, you know, the reason why we did it six weeks is because summer is busy. People get scattered. People go on vacations. And, and that's okay. And that's a part of the summer. But we did six weeks simply because that allows us to be able to do something to stay connected at the same time, grow in our faith throughout the summer. And we're doing this as it correlates with our At The Movies series. So um, for those who are interested in learning more, then what I would encourage you to do, and we are dismissed here in a little bit, to go uh, out into the lobby. We actually have a table, and you'll see the big sign that says Life Group Launch. And so you can learn about some of the different, different groups that are going to be meeting this summer. We have, I think, technically 14 groups that are going to be available. And so we just encourage you to check, that, check it out, uh, put some faces and names together with some of our leaders. You can also go online all of those um, names are listed, and so you can check out a group that is perhaps um, convenient for you as far as time and, and location, and also maybe a demographic that you feel would be a good fit for who you are and where you are at this stage or season in your life. But I encourage you to take the relational risk. It will truly be worth it. And uh, we believe here at Rethink Life that that is truly where life change happens best. It happens in the context of those relationships. So that is something that we call our life group launch, and we encourage you to take that step today. And the of course, we also have growth track that's immediately following our 10 a.m. service. And so if you want to go take a break, get some breakfast or something, come back later, we encourage you to take that next step. That is a great opportunity for you, once again, to get connected into the life of our church and begin making a difference with your time, with your talent, and the way God wants to use you to help make an eternal difference in the lives of other people as it relates to serving the local church and serving those outside the church. And so we encourage you to go to Growth Track. That is also today. And so with that in mind, we have a lot going on. And as you just saw through the little video, um, next weekend is perhaps one of the highlights of the whole year through what we call our At The Movie.
movie series. And so we're going to be doing four consecutive weeks. It's probably the easiest invite you'll ever have throughout the calendar year to invite friends that normally don't go to church. It's a great opportunity to invite them to come and be a part of some uh, powerful and life, um, I believe, some life-altering um, messages that we're going to be able to experience and learn from as we take the movies and we take the Bible and we blend those together. They're basically modern-day parables. And so it's a very powerful and effective uh, opportunity for us to be able to learn from. So it's exciting. We can't wait. And if you want to be a part of our dream team, then I encourage you to go to the info bar as well and learn more about how you can serve on our At The Movies dream team. Well, one other thing that is happening today, and I am actually wearing the t-shirt called I Have Decided. And I'm going to unpack this here in just a moment. But yesterday was a very significant day for my wife, Michelle, and I. We celebrated 28 years of marriage. Man, oh man, oh man. You know, it seems like literally like it was yesterday that we entered into um, that, that moment where we exchanged our vows and we publicly declared our commitment, our love, our devotion toward one another. And here we are 28 days, 28 days, 28 years later. And, uh, and I'm probably thinking days because we are only five days away from our daughter Ashlyn getting married. So she's actually getting married this Friday and uh, I'm still pinching myself on the reality of that. But it's another opportunity where she will have the opportunity to publicly declare along with her fiance Dylan, their love, their devotion and their commitment to one another. And it's an exciting moment because it's a moment that for me personally, I know Michelle feels the same, that was a life-changing moment. It was the best decision, I can say this, for, speaking for myself, it was the best decision I ever made. Can I get an amen? She's far better, much better half, I should say, than I am. But let me just say this. Um, one of the things that we did on our wedding day, in fact, did we show that picture? I think we have a picture of our, of our wedding day. We were we are rocking it right there. There we go. And uh, on that particular wedding day, it's hard to believe, June 1st, 1991. And uh, on that wedding day, one of the things that Michelle and I did is we exchanged not just our vows, but we also exchanged our wedding rings. And we not just declared publicly our love and devotion and commitment for one another, exchanged those vows, but we gave each other wedding rings. And these Physical wedding rings that I wear, that she wears, is symbolic. It is a, um, basically, it's a way that we uh, can, can be reminded of that significant commitment that we made through the exchange of those vows of our wedding day. But it's also a way that we declare publicly to other people that we are spoken for. And, you know, I don't take this ring off. It's, it's number one, it's very difficult to get off. But number two, uh, we just don't really take those rings off because that is something that is meaningful to us. But at the same time, it is a visual and physical reminder both to us and to other people of an inward decision and commitment that we made. And so with all of that said, there's another kind of outward expression or a public declaration, if you will, 
that is important when it comes to understanding God's word. And what God desires for you and for me when we become followers of Jesus Christ, he also wants us to declare our faith public. So here's what we're gonna do today. I'm gonna share with you a very simple message, and some of you have heard a message like this. In fact, if you've been coming to Rethink Life for any length of time, um, you know from time to time I'm gonna teach on this topic, and the reason why it's important for me to teach on it is because there's a lot of confusion, and I think for a lot of people, misunderstanding when it comes to really what baptism is and what baptism is not. And so today, I'm going to just simply share with you a very practical, a very simple, but yet a very biblical approach to what the Bible actually defines what baptism is. And the Bible is going to be very clear on what baptism is not. So we're going to unpack three lessons. Y'all ready? So if you have your notes, you may just want to jot these down. And I think this is something that's going to be helpful for you because I think it may bring clarity to your own mind and your own heart. I think for some of you, it will help connect some of the dots as it relates to maybe understanding some things that you've always maybe wondered or thought about concerning what baptism truly is. And hopefully it's something that you can articulate to someone else, especially if you are a follower of Christ. Maybe God wants to use you to share your faith with someone else. And a part of that faith story might be telling the story about how you were baptized and the significance of what that truly means to your life as a follower of Jesus Christ. So let's look at three things. We're going to look, first of all, at the meaning of baptism. We're going to, secondly, look at the, at the method of baptism. And then we're going to look at the motivation of baptism. So let's look at, the, first of all, the meaning of what baptism is. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 32 and 33, it says these words. This is Jesus speaking. He said, if anyone acknowledges me publicly, here on earth, I will openly acknowledge that person before my Father in heaven. But if anyone denies me here on earth, I will deny that person before my Father in heaven. In essence, what Jesus was saying is this. Hey, if you, be, if you will be ashamed of me here on earth, then I'll be ashamed of you when you stand before my fathers. In other words, Jesus is basically saying, why in the world would you not want to openly and to publicly declare to someone else that you're a follower of mine? It'd be like me telling Michelle, yes, I want to marry you, and yes, I want you to be my wife, and yes, we want to spend the rest of our life together. But don't tell anybody. That's just between us. You know what I'm saying? No, 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 no. We want to publicly declare that. And so that's, in essence, what baptism is. So if you're taking notes, baptism is a public declaration of a brand new association. In other words, hey, I have a new association in terms of who I'm identifying with and who I'm aligning my life with, and that, that is the person of Jesus Christ. So here's what baptism basically is a picture of. It's a picture of two things. Number one, it's a picture of what Jesus did for me. It's what Jesus has done for you. In fact, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4, it says, Christ died for our sins. Just as the scripture said, he was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. So the good news is, is that Jesus died on a cross for you and for me. And what did he die for? He died for our sins. 
Now, everybody in here, I would be safe to say, would probably admit that you've sinned. Now, just to prove my point, just curious, how many of you have ever told a white lie? I mean, not maybe a big lie, a little white lie. You know, just kind of small lie. How I many? Come on, you know, just come on. Let's, let's, this is church. Let's be real. Let's be honest. Okay, let's let's just get our hands out. How many of you have ever told a lie? Come on now. Come on. If you're not raising your hand, you're lying. Oh, come on. All right. Curious. How many of you have ever stole something? You took something that didn't belong to you. It could have been a long time ago, but come on, let's just get real, get honest. It's, 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 it's confession time here. Man, we, we took something that didn't belong to us. Okay. I think we can all agree to the fact that today I'm speaking to a bunch of thieves and liars in this place. So you've got to understand that we've all messed up. We've all fallen short. You know what I'm saying? We've all dropped the ball spiritually, morally in our lives. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short according to the Bible. And so therefore, what we've fallen short of is the perfection, the holiness of who God is. And so God will not, God cannot accept sin into heaven. So what did God do? God sent his one and only son into the world to die in your place. He died on a cross for our sin. So baptism is a picture of what Jesus did for us. He died for our sins. But number two, it is a picture of what has happened to us. It's what has happened to me now that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, it says it this way. When we were joined with Christ, Jesus, in baptism, we joined him in his death. For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. And one of the most powerful, most beautiful things that takes place when a person is water baptized, it is symbolic of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So therefore, when a person goes down into the water, what they're doing is they're saying, I'm being buried with Christ. Jesus died for my sin, and just like Christ was buried, I too am being buried. I'm dying to self. I'm dying to sin. So therefore, when we go down into the water, we're being just like Christ when he was buried. But when we come up out of that water, we're being just like Christ when he was raised back to life. In essence, it's a beautiful moving picture of the old life and the new life. I'm saying goodbye to my sin. I'm saying goodbye to my yesterdays. I'm saying goodbye to the old life, to the old ways. And I'm saying hello to a new beginning. I'm saying hello to a new identity in Christ. I am a new creation in Christ Jesus when I come up out of that water. Man, that ought to be an amen right there. In other words, we're no longer the same because of what Jesus did on the cross. And when we receive that forgiveness, we are being buried with Christ in baptism and we're being raised to walk in a brand new life. It's a new life. It's a new beginning. It's a new identity that we have. I like to say it this way. Jesus didn't come into the world to make bad people good. Jesus came into the world to make dead people alive. And so I'm here to tell you that today you can be alive in your life. You can be alive in your heart. You can be alive because what Christ has done for you. And so when you think about the 
meaning of baptism, it's a very powerful thing. But number two, there's the method. In other words, it's how you actually go about doing it. There's a method for baptism. Now, one of the things that we learn about baptism is this. Baptism in the New Testament you will always see two things stand out. When you read the Bible, specifically in the New Testament, which is basically where baptism was instituted, when you read the New Testament, what you'll find is that baptism is always by immersion, and baptism is always spontaneous or instantaneously. So let's unpack that for just a moment. Basically, what that means is this. All throughout the New Testament, in fact, for the really for the first 1,200 years of Christianity, all the baptisms that you will find in Scripture were always done by immersion. However, what happened was in, 12, uh, excuse me, in 200 A.D., there was an offshoot of Christianity that began to uh, be popularized. In essence, what this offshoot of Christianity was preaching and, 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 and promoting was a different methodology when it came to the subject of baptizing so-called new conversions or new converts and new believers. So in essence, what they did is they introduced two schools of thought. One is called the doctrine of original guilt. Now, in essence, what that means or what they were defining that to mean was this, that when a baby was born, they were born not just in their original sin, but because they were born in that original sin and because that sin could not go to heaven, therefore, if that if, 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 if that child or if that baby were to die, then unfortunately that child, because of the original sin that they were born with, that child, that baby would not go to heaven. So therefore they instituted or inst introduced a second thought and it was called baptismal regeneration. So what that basically meant was is that in those times you have to kind of just go back for a moment in history where water was scarce. What, often what would happen is they would take water and so often because of the frigid waters, babies that were being baptized would, would physically die. And so they introduced something else. And because of the scarcity of water, they would take water and what they began to do rather than immersing babies into the water what they started doing is they started sprinkling water upon the heads of babies. And their thought was is that the head is the seat of one's intellect. And so what began to happen was is this became a popular methodology, if you will, when it came to the method of baptizing babies. And this is where often what happens is that Many people who maybe grew up in church, maybe grew up in a family that went to church where the practice or the methodology of that particular church was to baptize babies, well, what, what often happens is, is that many people begin to become a little bit confused when they think, well, I was baptized as an infant, as a, as a baby. My parents took me to church as a baby, and I participated through what my parents chose to do through what is known as infant baptism. So what happens is that often a priest or often a, a, a pastor or a church leader will do something known as the sacrament of baptism. So what happens? A family will go and they'll participate in this kind of ceremony. And what it does is basically is a reflection of the heart of a mom and a dad who wants nothing more than the very best for their children. They want 
to provide the right kind of Christian home, Christian atmosphere. They, they want to do everything they can to lay a good Christian foundation for their children so they participate in something known as the sacrament of baptism. Well, it can be a wonderful thing, and obviously it's a wonderful reflection of the heart of a mother and a father who wants the sincere and most genuine expression of their love for God and their love for their children to be expressed in this moment. Well, here's the question I always ask people who have that story. I'll ask them the simple question. As wonderful as that was, as wonderful as a, an expression of love and devotion that was for your mother and your father to take you through that process, at the end of the day, whose decision was that? Was it mom and dad's decision or was it your decision? 100% of the time, the people will always respond when I ask them that question, well, that was my parents' decision. Well, again, we affirm mom and dad. We, we do everything we can to, to help them understand there's nothing wrong with that. It's a wonderful thing. But the Bible actually teaches something that's a little different. And what's different is, is that baptism in the, in the New Testament is always, always done through immersion. You say, well, what's the big deal? Well, let me share something with you. One of the things that's really important for us to understand is this, is that in the New Testament, there is a spiritual pattern of conversion that you will see practiced throughout the Bible, especially in the New Testament. Here's what you see. You will see that people, as you read the Bible, you will see that people, they hear the message of Jesus, the gospel, the good news, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So people who are non-believers, they would suddenly hear this good news that there was forgiveness of their sin. They hear this good news that they can have a new beginning. They hear this good news that they can spend eternity in heaven. So they hear the message of Jesus. Then they put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ to be the Lord and Savior. Then they declare their faith publicly through water baptism. But what happens for many people, especially when you talk to a lot of people today, is that they perhaps were baptized as a baby. Later, as they grew a little older, became a little bit more of um, maybe aware of their spiritual and moral condition. They hear the message of the gospel, the good news, the fact that Jesus did die for them, the fact that Jesus was raised back to life, the fact that they can have a relationship with Christ and have eternal life in heaven. Now all of a sudden they realize, yes, that's what's missing and that's what I want. And so therefore they put their faith and trust in Jesus, but they never demonstrate it publicly. And so that's what's missing for a lot of people when I hear their stories and people share a little bit about their faith journey with me and they'll say, yes, I've put my faith in Jesus, but you know what, I've never declared it publicly through water baptism. I was sprinkled, I was maybe confirmed as a baby, but as an adult or maybe as a teenager, you know, I've never taken the next step after my salvation experience to declare it publicly. Is this making sense? You see, I think what happens is that a lot of people get emotional about this important decision because they say, well, I don't want to disrespect my parents and, well, I don't want to disrespect the, you know, the spiritual authority you know, of my elders or my priest or my church. And it's not about spiritually disrespecting mom and dad or spiritually disrespecting an institution or church. It's simply saying, 
I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, and I'm ashamed of that. And because of what Jesus did for me, and because of what has happened to me, I want to now publicly declare my faith by simply being baptized as a witness and as a testimony. It's putting on the wedding ring of my salvation so I can declare to the whole world that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I got a new identity. I'm a new creation, and I got a new beginning because of what Jesus has done for me. So that's really what baptism is. It's the, it's the significance of declaring outwardly what Christ has done inwardly in our lives. And so Jesus modeled this by immersion. What's interesting is that in Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, one day John the Baptist was out on the Jordan, and he was preaching, and he was, um, you know, out there. He was the forerunner, so he was the one that was warning people, telling people, hey, there's one coming that's greater than I. It's, it's the Messiah. His name is Jesus. He's coming, and then all of a sudden, John the Baptist, who's now baptizing people there in the Jordan, these, these were Jews that were now being converted into the message that John the Baptist was, was proclaiming. They were aligning themselves, they were identifying themselves with this message that John the Baptist was proclaiming. And all of a sudden, John the Baptist sees the very one that he's been preaching about. He says, behold, the Lamb of God, there he is right there. So in that moment, here's what begins to take place. It says, one day Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and he was baptized by John in the Jordan River. And when Jesus came up, notice, came up out of the water, he saw the heavens split open and the Holy Spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven saying, you are my beloved son, and I am fully pleased with you. It's a beautiful story, a beautiful picture of what the foreshadowing was of what Jesus would later do. Where he would be crucified on a cross, where he would be buried, and he would come back, come back from the grave three days later. And here he was being baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River, where he goes down into the water, and he comes up out of the water. What was he doing? He was saying, I am the fulfillment of what John has been saying. You know, the word baptism in Greek is the word baptizo, which simply means to submerge, to dunk, to go under. A lot of people ask the question, how did John the Baptist get his name? Was he actually a Baptist? <laughs> a lot of people say, how come it wasn't John the Methodist? Or John the Church of Christ? Or John the, you know, the... Assemblies of God, or join, you know, John the, you know, fill in the blank, whatever denomination you want to fill in the blank with. How come John got the name Baptist? The reason why John got the name Baptist was not because he was a Baptist. John the Baptist got the name simply because he was known as being John the Baptizo. John was the one who was baptizing the new conversions, the ones who were embracing this message of Christianity. And then Jesus comes on the scene and John baptized the one that he had been proclaiming about all this time. So it's a beautiful affiliation of what Jesus did for us. Another thing is this, every baptism you see is not only done by immersion in the New Testament, it's also done spontaneously. It's done instantaneously. In Acts chapter 16, it's a fascinating story where Paul and Silas were in a prison. 
Because they had gotten arrested there in Rome for proclaiming the gospel, the good news, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Therefore, because that was against the the religion, what they did is they arrested Paul and Silas. They put them in, in a jail. And so here they are bound in chains along with all the other prisoners. And then suddenly there was an earthquake. And in the middle of the night, as this earthquake began to happen, the chains began to fall off the prisoners. The prison doors opened. And it says, the jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. And even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. Then he and everyone, notice, everyone in his household were immediately baptized. He brought them into his house and set a meal before them. And he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. So here's an incredible story of a Roman soldier who's radically saved through the testimony and the message of what Paul and Silas had shared. He takes that message. He takes it to the jailer's home. He's able to lead his entire family to Christ. And that same night, the entire family is saved and baptized. They didn't say, well, let's do that next year. No, no, no. They were in that moment so excited because they wanted to publicly declare their faith in Christ Jesus. Another amazing story is when Philip was approached by a eunuch. It was an Ethiopian eunuch. And and so this eunuch was very astute in the scriptures, but he was reading a passage of scripture that really began to bring him to a place of conviction. And he had some questions. And so pick up the story in Acts 8, verses 36 and 30. 38 and says, and as they rode along, they came to a small body of water and the eunuch said, look water, why can't I be baptized? Well, you can, Philip answered, if you believe of all of your heart. The eunuch said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. So he stopped the chariot and they went down into the water and Philip baptized him. You see the progression? People hear the word of God. They put their faith in Jesus. They put their faith in the message of the death, the burial, and the resurrection. And then they declare that faith. They demonstrate that faith public through water baptism. Now, what's the motivation? We've talked about the meaning. We've talked about the method. But why should we be baptized? Well, the Bible says it this way in Matthew 28, verse 19. This is known as the great commission that Jesus gave to his followers just before he ascended into heaven. And it says in Matthew 28, verse 19, Go out and train everyone you meet far and near in this way of life, marking them by baptism in the threefold name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Why is baptism so important? I can summarize it in one word. It's the word obedience. Obedience. Now what did Jesus say in John 14, 15? 
Jesus said, if you love me, obey my commandments. So my question for you is this. If Jesus was willing to walk 70 miles from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized because it mattered, what is it that keeps us from being baptized? What is it that holds us back from demonstrating our faith publicly because of what Christ has done inwardly in our hearts and lives? Today, we have an incredible opportunity. It's a picture, I mean, it's like a Chamber of Commerce Day in Orlando, Florida. I mean, it's gorgeous outside. It's going to be just beautiful at the beach. Some of you are saying, yes, I want to go there right now. Well, today, you can have an opportunity to make a decision. You see, if Jesus was willing to walk 70 miles from Galilee to, Nazareth, from Galilee to, to the Jordan River, my question to you is this. Are you willing to drive 46 miles in an air-conditioned vehicle to the beach? It's exactly, I did the Google Maps from Orlando International Airport to Sherry Down Park. It's exactly 46 miles. 44 minutes it will take you to demonstrate your faith publicly through water baptism. Now I'm going to conclude by simply saying this. One of the most profound things that ever took place in the history of the world occurred when the local church was birthed. You can read the whole story in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2, but I want to pick it up in verses 37 and 41 because we all know the story. Jesus was crucified, he was buried, he was raised back to life. He lived, he walked on earth after his resurrection for 40 days and there were eyewitnesses and not only encountered Jesus, but we know for a fact that Jesus even appeared and spoke to crowds of up to 500 people after his resurrection. He tells his disciples, hey, I'm going to a place to prepare for you, a place called heaven, but until I come back, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and tell as many people as, I possi as you possibly can about the hope that they have when they put their faith and their trust in me. So Jesus goes to heaven. Now the disciples are sharing and proclaiming that good news. Well, one day, Peter got up. The one who denied Jesus at one point gets up before a massive crowd of people. And right there on the spot, it was an international audience. And he proclaimed the good news of Jesus Christ. That Jesus died for our sin. That he was buried. And that he arose again. And it says these words in verse 37 in Acts chapter 2. Peter's words pierced their hearts. And they said to him and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? And Peter replied, Well, each of you should repent of your sins. Turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus to show that you have received forgiveness of your sins. Notice, those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 people in all. So in a blink of an eye, in a moment, some 3,000 people believed in Jesus. They put their faith in Jesus and then suddenly, instantly, 
were water baptized. And today in 2019, we are still proclaiming the hope that is found in Jesus Christ. And so I believe that today, that day for them, that day can be this day for some of you. In other words, this day you can make a decision to put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. And if you've already done that, but maybe you've never taken the next step to declare your faith through water baptism, I believe that this day can be that day in your life. But letting it be known, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ and I'm not ashamed of what he's done for me and what he's done in me in my life. Let's bow our heads together.